The following sermon by Jonathan Edwards is called The Gadarenes Love Their Swine Better Than Jesus Christ. Mark 5, verses 16 and 17, And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil, and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coasts. We're informed in the beginning of the chapter how that Christ came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. In Matthew, they are called Gerasenes. They seem to be called Gerasenes from the ancient name of their nation, or at least the nations that anciently dwelt in that country. For by Gerasenes seems to be meant the same with Gargashites, one of the seven nations of Canaan that possessed the land before the children of Israel. These Gerasenes were probably some remains of that nation that continued there in an extreme part of the land of Canaan, in a backside of the Sea of Galilee to this very day. Or they may be called Gerasenes because they dwelt in that part of the land that Gargashites formerly inhabited. They were not Jews because they had so many swine. They seemed to be called Gadarenes from their chief city that was called Gadara. When Christ came into this country, we are told that there immediately met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. There were different degrees of possessions of devils, but this man seems to have been subject to the highest degree of possession, insomuch that the devils seemed to make use of the body and bodily organs of this man as they pleased, to move him how and where they would, and to make use of his organs of speech, so that the devils themselves spoke with his tongue. And besides, there was a multitude or whole army of them that were concerned in this man's possession. And therefore, they compared themselves to one of the Roman legions of soldiers, which was a regiment or body of men, including about 6,000. We have an account in the history of the evangelists of many possessed with devils. It seems to have been so ordered in providence that there be a great number of such at the time that Christ appeared in the world, that Christ might, by casting them out, have a more glorious and visible triumph over the devil, and give the greater evidence of his being that Messiah that was to bruise the serpent's head. But we nowhere have an account of so notable a demoniac or possessed person as this. Christ's coming into the world alarmed the devils of hell. They were very jealous of him, they knew that the time was to come in which they were to suffer a far greater degree of torment than hitherto they had done, for they are reserved in chains of darkness to a more terrible punishment, and that this punishment was to be inflicted by the Son of God. And the prophecies that spoke of Christ under the Old Testament do abundantly speak of Christ destroying his enemies and giving them a dreadful overthrow when he came into the world. So the devil seems to have thought that Christ was now about to bring that dreadful increase of his torment upon him. And he seemed to be afraid, especially at this time, when Christ was coming into the country of the Gadarenes. For Christ seems to come over into the country on purpose to cast those devils out of this poor man that had been possessed by them. And they were sensible that he had a design upon them. And being so many of them, they were afraid that Christ took this occasion to execute their full punishment upon them, and were therefore dreadfully terrified at his approach. And so, when he came ashore, the devil runs 
i.e., by means of the body of the man that he possessed, and falls down before Christ, and beseeches him with a loud voice not to torment him. And it is said in the tense verse of the context that he besought him much that he would not send them out of the country. It is said in Luke 8, verse 31, that they besought him that he would not send them out into the deep. That is, that he would not shut them up to confine them to hell, and so cut them off from any opportunity of doing any more mischief. They were sensible they must be dispossessed of the man, and therefore they besought him that they might have leave to enter into the herd of swine that were feeding in sight, which were probably the main part of the swine of the people of that part of the country, and one herd under keepers. They desired if they might not keep possession of the man to be allowed to do this mischief as to destroy those swine, and Christ allowed them. And we are told that forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about two thousand and were choked in the sea. Upon which they that fed the swine went and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done, and saw Jesus and the man that had been possessed with devils. And we are told in the text that having understood by more particular inquiry how that Christ delivered the possessed man, and how their swine were destroyed, they prayed Christ to depart out of their coasts. In the words, two things may be observed. Number one, what it is that the Gadarenes seek of Christ, namely that he would depart out of their coasts. They don't desire to have such an one amongst them. They want to get rid of him. Christ had not been wont to be conversant in this country here so far, and they looked upon it as a calamity to them that he is come amongst them. They desire that he would return to the place he came from, that they may not be troubled with him. Number two, which seems to have influenced them to seek this, namely the loss of their swine. Christ had done great good since he came among them. He had delivered a poor man that had been possessed by devils, but yet they lost in their estates by the means their hogs were all drowned in the sea, and they might be afraid they should suffer more loss in their outward substance some way or other if Christ stayed there. It is said in Luke 8, verse 37, that they were taken with great fear. They had so sweated by such a loss as soon as ever Christ came ashore among them, they did not know what would be the consequence of his continuing there. Observation. The Gadarenes loved their swine better than Jesus Christ. Several things may be considered that may illustrate this matter. First, the country of the Gadarenes was not far from the place where Christ most commonly resided, and therefore, doubtless, they had often heard of the doctrine he taught and the works that he did. Capernaum was the city in which Christ chiefly resided after he began his public ministry. This is a city that is called his own city, Matthew 9, verse 1. This was a city lying on the Sea of Galilee, not far from this on the shore of the same Sea of Galilee, or Lake of Gennesaret, Labesaida, and Chorazin, which were cities that Christ was also very conversant in. 
We're told that in those cities, most of Christ's mighty works were done, Matthew 11, 12. The Adarenes was not far from these, for it was only across the Sea of Galilee, on the opposite side from Capernaum. Thus we read that he came over to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. The sea was the Sea of Galilee, or Lake of Gennesaret, which was scarce twenty miles wide. So that though the people, being Gentiles, had no great communication with the Jews, yet they, being so near, it could not be otherwise than that they should hear much of the fame of Christ and of the mighty works that he wrought. For we often read how exceedingly his fame spread, and even beyond the country of the Jews, into neighboring countries amongst the Gentiles. As particularly in the fourth chapter of Matthew, the twenty-fourth verse, we are told that his fame went throughout all Syria, which was not a Jewish but a Gentile country. Secondly, Christ had manifested himself amongst the Gadarenes by a wonderful work of divine power and mercy that they were eyewitnesses of. Namely, his casting out the legion of devils out of the possessed man. This is the greatest miracle of the kind that Christ ever wrought, in which Christ did at once deliver a most miserable object from the cruelty of a multitude of devils by the word of his power. So that he that before was so agitated by devils that none could fetter or bind him, no, not with chains, and was always night and day in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones, and wore no clothes but went naked, they now saw him sitting and clothed in his right mind, wholly delivered from his former calamity. By this, those Gadarenes saw a glorious evidence of the power of Christ over Satan, and that he was indeed a divine person who could command such a multitude of devils. And those, they had seen Christ triumphing over the cruel enemy of mankind, they had before their eyes in the deliverance of this poor man a notable evidence that this Jesus was the person by whom mankind was to be delivered from Satan and rescued out of his hands. They had doubtless often heard before what mighty works Christ had done on the other side of the lake, and now they saw all confirmed by a mighty work wrought among themselves before their own eyes. One would have thought that they might well have rejoiced at so great a person's coming amongst them at the honor that he did them in coming into their country, and that they should one and all have been concerned how to have given him a suitable entertainment, and to have made him welcome. One would have thought that their pity to the poor man that had been possessed with devils should have made them to rejoice when they came to see him so wonderfully and perfectly delivered, and that they should have looked on themselves as called from hence to give him joyful entertainment, and that they should have looked upon it that while he was in their country, they had a great blessing in their country, one that could defend them from the devil, their worst enemy, and one that by a word speaking could heal their bodies and their souls. They had doubtless heard how the Christ healed all manner of diseases on the other side of the lake, and they had a glorious evidence and a work now wrought amongst them that he could do it. One would have thought that they should have rejoiced to see that they had such an omnipotent physician among them, and that the whole city and all the country round about, instead of rising and going out to him, to persuade him to be gone, should with one consent arisen to invite him to continue with them, and should be bringing to him from all quarters and carrying about on beds their sick and diseased persons, as they were wont to do in many other places. 
besides the work of Christ in delivering the body of this man from the power of the devil. There seems to have been a work of grace withal wrought in his soul, for he showed another disposition from what his countrymen did. He not only is willing that Christ should stay among them, but when he is going away to leave the country, he shows himself willing to leave his own country to follow him. Rather than not enjoy his presence, we are told that he besought him that he might be with him, verse 18. And when Christ allowed him not, but bid him go home to his friends and tell them what great things the Lord had done for him, he obeys his commands and begins to publish the great things Jesus had done for him, not only amongst his own friends, but throughout all the country thereabouts, including not only Gadara, but with that, ten cities. But thirdly, there does not appear any other particular reason why they desired Christ to depart out of their coasts, but only that he had been an occasion of the loss of their swine, instead of joyfully receiving of him, and inviting him to stay with them, as might well have been expressed after Christ had so gloriously and mercifully manifested himself amongst them, they desire him to be gone, not from any prejudice they had, any controversy they had formerly with them, or anything that Christ had said or done before to disgust them, for we have no account of Christ's ever going there at any time before. But the loss of their swine was the thing. There was a great herd, about one thousand of them, and many of them looked on themselves as great losers by this. And they were so concerned at this loss in their estates that they took no notice of the glorious work that Christ had wrought. This loss so grieved them that there was no room found for rejoicing at the poor man's wonderful deliverance or for any consideration of the great advantage the presence of Christ in their country might be to them for the good of soul and body. But the loss of their swine, through his permitting Satan to drown them in the sea, made them averse to Christ. As to his being any longer among them, their hearts seemed to have been altogether upon earthly things. They regarded their swine more than the glory of Christ, that he manifested in the miracle wrought, and more than any advantage to their souls or bodies they might expect from his presence and more the deliverance of their poor, miserable fellow creature. Number four, they were very earnest to have Christ depart from them. They were greatly engaged in it to get rid of him. It is said they besought him to depart out of their coasts. The whole city and country seemed to be alarmed by this drowning of their swine, and came with one accord to him, and wickedly beseeching him to be gone. Matthew eight thirty four. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they besought him that he would depart out of their coasts, and not only the city, but the whole country round it. Luke eight thirty seven. Then the whole multitude of the country of the Gadarenes round about besought him to depart from them. Number five, they were in haste to have him gone. Christ had been just come ashore among them. The man possessed with devils met him, as appears, near the seaside, before he had entered into any of their towns, and it seems that the people came out to him there and were urgent with him to go directly into the ship again, that he was just come out of, and to return back again from whence he came, without so much as entering into their city, or staying at all in the country, showing that they desired to have nothing to do with him. Application number one. 
Use may be made of instruction, hence we may learn how light natural men set by Jesus Christ. In this instance of the gatherings, we may see truly represented what is in the hearts and practice of unbelievers in general. As the gatherings love their swine better than Jesus Christ, so it is in the hearts and practice of all unbelievers to prefer worldly possessions and enjoyments, yea, even the meanest of them to him, to live in their vile lusts that are more filthy than swine, and that grovel in dirt and wallow in the mire, and seek their food in the earth, and delight in filthiness as swine do. The Gadarenes, as has been already observed, did not thus set Christ below their swine from anything that had happened before, that should give them a disgust or aversion to Christ, but it seems merely to have been from the earthliness and carnality of their minds, whereby their minds that were set on the mean and sordid enjoyments of this world and contemned heavenly and eternal things. Nor was it because the Gadarenes were a people born into the world with more corruption in their hearts than other men, or had a greater enmity against Christ than others, but all natural men that hear of Christ and continue in unbelief are of the same spirit that the Gadarenes were of. They set their hearts on earthly things as they did, and are of the same mean earthly groveling disposition that they were of, and have the same contempt of Jesus Christ, have no more love to him than they had. They set as mean and inferior things above him in their esteem and affection as they did, and treat him after the same manner. They do also, as it were, love their swine above Christ, i.e., they set more by the meanest and most sordid of earthly enjoyments than they do by Christ. They sell Christ with all its glory and benefits for filthy lucre, and set more by a little worldly pelf, or the filthy pleasure of gratifying some beastly lust, than they do by Christ with all that he is or has done. But here to be particular number one, they set more by the meanest and vilest objects of their carnal affection than by all the glory and excellency of Christ's person. They see, or imagine they see, some excellency in the meanest object of their lusts, whence they are led really to prize and value them. They have some sense of a supposed excellency in those things, but they have no sense of the excellency of Christ. And so it comes to pass that an unbeliever puts greater honor upon the most sordid of their earthly enjoyments than they do to Christ. As to those vile things, they manifestly show them a great deal of respect. They show the value and high esteem they have of them in their practice by making much of them, by showing their care of them and concerns about them, yea, by making themselves mere servants to them, but they give Christ no real honor. But secondly, they have greater complacence and delight in the vilest objects of their lusts than they have in Jesus Christ. The worldly-minded, covetous man takes delight in viewing of his money, and lands, and cattle, and other worldly possessions. He is in his element when he is busying himself about these. He is inwardly pleased, and his heart is gratified by the smallest earthly gains that he makes. The essential person delights himself in filthy pleasures as the swine takes delight in wallowing in the mire, or as a filthy vermin takes delight in crawling amongst and feeding upon the filthy putrefaction of a rotten, stinking carcass. 
but a natural man has no delight or complacence in Jesus Christ. Thirdly, they have greater desires after the meanest carnal objects than after Jesus Christ. Natural men are all men of this world. The love of the world pleases them, and the appetite of their souls is holy after those things that are carnal and earthly. It is most apparent all over the world of mankind that man's thirst is after the things of the world. How eager are all sorts everywhere in their carnal earthly pursuits. How violent is man's appetite after the things of the world. How eager are men after worldly profit. How insatiable is their thirst for gain and how inordinate is their appetite after carnal pleasures. How violent are their lusts when in the meantime they have no appetite after Jesus Christ. Thus natural men do set more by the most sordid earthly enjoyments than by all the glory and excellency that there is in Christ. Number two, they set more by them than by all the glorious works that Christ has done. Herein they are like the Gadarenes, who, though they had so great and glorious a work of Christ before their eyes, as a redeeming of a man from the possession of a legion of devils, and not only rescuing his body, but also his soul out of their hand, which work was a figure, and also a fruit and instance of his glorious work of redemption, yet they preferred their swine to all the glory, the power, and the mercy of this work, and as well as all other works of Christ, that they had heard that Christ had wrought on the other side of the lake, and also that great work of redemption itself, that this, with other miracles he had wrought, was an evidence that he was a person appointed of the Father to do. And so it is, with all that hear of Christ and don't believe of him, they set much by those vile earthly things. Yet, number three, they set more by those sordid earthly enjoyments than by all the heavenly blessedness and glory that Christ has purchased. They set more by their swine than they do by that holiness and that blessed image of God that is purchased to be bestowed on believers in this world. They value the objects of their lusts far before that divine light that discovers the glory of God in Christ. It is with them in the reverse of what it was with the apostle. They account the spiritual knowledge of Christ Jesus as less, yea, they account it but dung in comparison of carnal objects and enjoyments to be made partakers of the divine nature, to have the beauty of Christ put upon them is what they despise in comparison of a small part of the world. Indeed, a natural man may quench earthly desires in order to be converted, and may be willing to part with a great deal of the world in order to it, but it is not in the least from any value he has in holiness or the grace of God given in conversion, but only for the sake of escaping of hell. A natural man does, as it were, more value his swine above all the holy pleasures that the godly enjoy in a view of God's and Christ's glory and in communion with God. A natural man has no relish for any such pleasure. He has no notion or conception of it, nor any appetite after it. Yet a natural man values the brutish enjoyments of this world more than he does the blessedness and glory of heaven itself. A natural man has a mind to go to heaven, as the case is, because he can't escape hell without it, and we have some desires after the circumstantial glory of heaven, but as to that which is the most essential glory of heaven, consisting of dwelling in the presence of God, 
in perfect conformity to him, and in the beatifical vision of his glory and in perfect communion with Christ, in a full enjoyment of God and Christ forever and ever, he sets more by the meanest objects of his lusts than he does by all this. When Christ holds out those blessings that he has purchased by his blood and offers them to sinners, and calls and invites them to come to him to accept of them, they neglect them and despise them in comparison of the gratifying their worldliness and sensuality and brutish lusts. Number two, application, self-examination. What has been said should put persons upon examining themselves whether or not their spirit and practice have been agreeable to that of the Gadarenes. First, I would mention some things that are no signs that it is not with you as with the Gadarenes. And second, mention some few things for you to examine yourself about in order to determine this matter. I would mention some things that are no signs that you don't love your swine better than Jesus Christ. First, that you make a profession of Christ as a glorious Savior, as your Lord and King. Nothing is more common than for persons to make this profession and yet prefer the meanest and vilest things before Christ. You may make that profession that visible and professing Christians in general do, that Christ is the Son of God and the only Savior of the world, and that he is risen from the dead and exalted to a state of glory. Yea, you may go higher in profession than many others. You may be one that pretends to an extraordinary work of God upon your heart, revealing Christ to you, and pretend that you have felt great love to him, and be much in talking of the extraordinary experiences you have had, and yet be like the Gadarenes. Judas professed that Christ was his master, and always had appeared to own him as a true Messiah, but yet had no love to him, and sold him for thirty pieces of silver. Number two, your making great shows of respect to Christ and outward worship is no sign that it is not with you as with the Gadarenes. If you come to meeting Sabbath after Sabbath, if you attend public and private duties of worship, if you seem when you pray to speak very respectfully of Christ and call him a glorious Savior, and set forth in your prayers how great and worthy he is, and how wonderful his love and mercy to sinners is, and what a glorious work he has done in coming into the world and laying down his life, how glorious his benefits are and seem in your prayers to ask all in the name of Christ, pleading the sufficiency of his blood and his righteousness, all this is no sign that you don't love your swine better than Christ. Judas betrayed his master with a kiss. He said, Hail, master, and kissed him, and in the same moment showed that he had a mortal hatred of him by betraying of him by that very act to be crucified. Number three, your speaking well of Christ to others is no sign that you don't love your swine better than Jesus Christ. If you are frequently talking of things of religion and speak of Christ, and what he has done and suffered, and often in your discourse expressing how needful a thing it was that Christ should have regard to such unworthy worms of the dust as we are, what cause we have to love Christ, and to be careful to praise and glorify him, and how that the praise of our salvation doesn't belong at all to us but only to Jesus Christ, that he should only have all the glory and drop many expressions time after time to the light purpose, it is no certain sign that you don't love your swine better than Jesus Christ. Number four, that you have sometimes found yourself affected when you have heard of Christ and his dying love, 
It is no certain sign that you don't set your heart more on the most sordid earthly objects than Jesus Christ. Persons may be affected with the hearing of these things, as they may be affected on hearing or reading a romance or in seeing something acted on a stage, which yet they at the same regard as mere nullities, and therefore indeed lay no weight on them. The affecting some persons have towards Christ argues no true love, and won't carry them near so far in labor and self-denial as their love to some inconsiderable and mean earthly possession or sensual enjoyment. So the Apostle in Philippians 3, 6, number 5. If you in many things, and so far as can be seen by men, live morally and strictly as a rich young man in Matthew nineteen twenty, it is no certain sign that you don't love your swine better than Jesus Christ. And therefore be directed to inquire how it is and has been with you in other things, and in particular those that follow. Number one, when Christ in his word has offered to come and abide with you, haven't you refused to admit him for the sake of the world? Christ had been a stranger in the land of the Gadarenes, but he sailed over the sea in a ship and came to them. It might well have been a joyful time among the people of that country when he was coming, the first sight of the ship off upon the waters coming towards them might well have caused an universal joy among them because the Son of God was in it. That ship was bringing the Lord of life and glory to them. And Christ actually came ashore upon their land and gloriously showed his power and mercy among them as soon as he had got ashore. But they would not admit him among them. When he had but, as it were, touched on the coast, they quickly sent him back again because of their swine that they had lost. The gospel that has often been preached to you is, as it were, the ship that has brought the same Lord of glory to you, and that he has come to you and offered himself to you to abide with you and exercise his infinite power and mercy for you. Yea, and to influence you the more willingly and joyfully to receive him, he was wrought great things in your sight. You that dwell in this town have seen as great and greater things than the miracle of casting out the legion of devils. That was one wonderfully delivered from the possession, but here have been many souls gloriously delivered from the same grand enemy. But have you not often all rejected him and refused the offer that he has made of himself to you for the sake of your swine, or the vain and sordid things of this world? Do you not to this day shut out Christ out of your hearts, given the main possession of your hearts to worldly objects? Are not your hearts now from day to day mainly set on the things of the world to the neglecting of a glorious Savior, and comparatively making light of him? Haven't you refused even to this day ever heartily to give up yourself to Christ? When the gospel invitation has been made to you, haven't you begun to make excuse and turned your backs on the invitation? And gone away, one to his farm and another to his merchandise. Matthew 22, verse 5. Number 2. Do you not at this day, for the sake of the vain and mean enjoyments of this world, refuse earnestly to seek an interest in Christ? If you were earnestly seeking an interest in Christ, that would be no evidence that you had any true value for the person of Christ or his glorious works and spiritual benefits, because you might do it only out of fear. But if you neglect to seek an interest in Christ for the sake of worldly pursuits, that is an infallible sign that you prefer the enjoyments of the world above Jesus Christ. You are in such a necessity of an interest in Christ, and have been so often told of it, that if you neglect seeking earnestly after it, though at the same time you are earnestly pursuing after the things of the world, 
It is a sure sign that Christ is nothing with you in comparison of the world. Number three. Haven't you, for the sake of the vile objects of earthly affections, turned away Christ from you, after he has come to you, striving with you by his Spirit? When a sinner is under convictions, Christ comes by his Spirit, as it were, knocking at his door. There are no sinners that have Christ coming so nigh to them, and in so remarkable a manner offering himself to them, as those that are under the strivings of his Spirit. He at such a time does, as it were, come upon their coasts, manifesting himself ready to cast out the devil and deliver them from that cruel enemy of their souls, but at the same time insisting that they must part with their swine, that they should forever break off all their filthy and brutish lusts, holy burying of them as it were in the depths of the sea, never expecting anything from them any more. To this end Christ awakens them, shows them the guilt that is brought by those lusts, and convinces them of something of the danger of them, and also insisting that they should in their hearts wholly part with all worldly enjoyments for his sake, flocks and herds, money and lands, and all that they have. This causes a great struggle in the soul of a sinner under convictions. They are loath to come to it, thus wholly depart with the objects of their brutish lusts, and with their worldly enjoyments loath to sell all. That yes, some are overcome and are prevailed upon really to do it. Others, though they have convictions for a considerable time to struggle with, yet never comply with such proposals. They never consent heartily to make any such bargain. But they cleave finally to their swine till they drive Christ wholly away from them by quenching his Holy Spirit and return again to security and Christ leaves them to themselves. Inquire whether or not this is not your case. Haven't you thus been under convictions of the Spirit of Christ? Haven't you had a struggle for some time with those convictions, but what has been the issue? Haven't you wholly driven Christ away from you? And are you not at length come stupidly to pursue after and cleave to the things of the world in a supine negligence of Jesus Christ and salvation by him? Number four. Has it not been your manner in particular cases in which the command of Christ has stood on one hand and some carnal interest and enjoyment on the other to refuse a former and choose a latter? Or hasn't it been your manner to choose your swine rather than Christ in particular cases in which they have stood in competition when the saving or giving something in your worldly estate has been the thing that has presented itself in opposition to Christ or some duty required of him something that you ought to do out of obedience to him and for his honor? Are you not so fearful of losing a little of the world, or so eager to gain it, that it is customary with you in such cases to turn Christ by, and make his commands and his glory give place? It is mentioned in Scripture, as a sure token of the unsoundness of the faith of the rich young man, that when it was proposed of Christ that he should sell all, that he would not do so, Matthew nineteen twenty-one, and so on. Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then said Jesus to his disciples, Verily I say to you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. But if he won't part with a little, or miss a little for Christ, how far are you from selling all? And how is it when some sensual brutish appetite solicits you and stands in competition with Christ? 
Don't you in such cases pray Christ to stand by and beseech him to depart out of your coasts, as the Gadarenes did? If this be customary with you, what can be a greater evidence than this, that you do love your swinish lusts and brutish enjoyments better than Jesus Christ? Number three, a use of a warning to warn all that they don't do as the Gadarenes did. If upon examination you find you have done so, better to take heed that you don't continue in it, consider number one, how provoking it must needs be to God to see men set so light by his Son, that is glorious, so glorious and lovely a person, and therefore God is dreadfully threatened of thus slighting Christ, 1 Corinthians 16 verse 22. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. Number two, if you do thus, how justly may God determine that you shall never have any other portion than these vile enjoyments that you do so prefer to Christ? Seeing you set so light by Christ, how justly might you forever be denied any part in him? Why should God give you such a precious jewel that you so despise and treat after such a manner? How just and righteous a thing in God would it be to swear in his wrath, that those things that you set your heart so much upon, those brutish swinish enjoyments that you so prefer before Christ, should be your portion and all that ever you shall have. Christ is a glorious person. He is God as well as man. But if you make more of a God of your swine than of Christ, how justly may God say to you, Go to the gods whom you have chosen, Judges 10.14, and consider that it certainly will be thus unless you repent, and unless it be seen otherwise with you, and you are brought to subject all to the feet of Christ. Otherwise you will become as those spoken of in Psalm 17.14, that has your portion in this life, of whom it will be said, When you have departed this life, as he has received his good things, Luke 16.25, In thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Number three, consider what danger there is that Christ will forsake you as he did the Gadarenes. When the Gadarenes, out of love to their swine, had showed themselves so inhospitable towards Christ, and were not willing to receive him into any of their houses or towns, nor that he should stay in the country, but besought him to depart out of their coasts. Christ departed as they desired, as we have an account in the text. Christ took ship and bid adieu to the Gadarene shore, and crossed the sea again, and returned unto his own country. And we have no account that in all his travels he ever went to the country of the Gadarenes any more. But it seems as though Christ, according to their desire, totally left them. So there is danger that he will do with you. The Gadarenes rejected Christ but once, but you have often done it. Christ never came to the coast of the Gadarenes before, but he has come and offered himself to you hundreds of times, and you have from time to time rejected him for the sake of your lusts. How just would it be if Christ should finally leave you, never to come to you or strive with you any more, and what danger there is that he will do so? Number four. If you treat Christ with such contempt here, how justly may you expect hereafter to be treated by him with contempt? If you now place Christ below the very swine, how low may you justly be placed by him, and how low may you expect to be placed by him in another world when he comes to judge you and to render to you according to your works? You may expect that Christ will treat you hereafter as he has been treated by you in this world. 
You may learn this from Mark 8:38. He that is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. If you do not speedily repent, but go on thus to so prefer things so vile to Christ, you must expect hereafter to be made Christ's footstool, according as it is threatened, Psalm 110, verse 1, and to be trodden down as a mire of the streets agreeable to Zechariah 10, 5, number 5. It will be more tolerable for the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah. Christ declares, then it shall be so with those that reject the offers of Christ and his kingdom made him by his ministers, Matthew 10, 14, and 15. And whoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when ye depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. This manuscript is dated April 1737. Stillwater's Revival Books is now located at PuritanDownloads.com. It's your worldwide online Reformation home for the very best in free and discounted classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, MP3s, and videos. For much more information on the Puritans and Reformers, including the best free and discounted classic and contemporary books, MP3s, digital downloads, and videos, please visit Stillwater's Revival Books at PuritanDownloads.com. Stillwater's Revival Books also publishes the Puritan Hard Drive, the most powerful and practical Christian study tool ever produced. All thanks and glory be to the mercy, grace, and love of the Lord Jesus Christ for this remarkable and wonderful new Christian study tool. The Puritan Hard Drive contains over 12,500 of the best Reformation books, MP3s, and videos ever gathered onto one portable Christian study tool. An extraordinary collection of Puritan, Protestant, Calvinistic, Presbyterian, Covenanter, and Reformed Baptist resources. It's fully upgradable and it's small enough to fit in your pocket. The Puritan hard drive combines an embedded database containing many millions of records with the most amazing and extraordinary custom Christian search and research software ever created. The Puritan hard drive has been produced to assist you in the fascinating and exhilarating spiritual, intellectual, familial, ecclesiastical, and societal adventure that is living the Christian life. It has been specifically designed so that you might more faithfully know, serve, and love the Lord Jesus Christ, as well as to help you to do all you can to bring glory to His great name. If you want to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, then the Puritan hard drive is for you. Visit PuritanDownloads.com today for much more information on the Puritan hard drive and to take advantage of all the free and discounted Reformation and Puritan books, MP3s, and videos that we offer at Stillwater's Revival Books.